Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good news for the Bucks, and we owe a big apology to someone that we ripped on our last podcast. Oh, and GMAC speaks out. Lots of changes in baseball. Lots going on. All that and more on this edition of the Rick and Tom podcast. Hey, everybody. Tom Jones, Rick Stroud from the Tampa Bay Times. appreciate you listening and subscribing. We're here every day. And you can find us on Twitter at Rick Tom Podcast, at NFL Stroud, at Tom W. Jones, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Rick. Back at it on Wednesday, getting ready for the uh, weekend and this weekend's game against the Arizona Cardinals. And I guess some pretty good news because they've been missing some guys, and I guess there's a chance some of those guys might come back. Well, they had a bunch of practice that haven't been practicing. I mean, Quan Alexander, you know, hasn't done anything really since uh, the first game of the season when he aggravated that hamstring injury, was at practice. Levante David, who we saw carted off the field in Minnesota, uh, made it back to practice today, um, you know, with a wrap on his ankle, nonetheless. Um, you also had um, T.J. Ward, who was out the last uh, couple games with a hip injury, and Keith Tandy, who missed the last game with a hip injury. So potentially four starters back practicing. They all were limited, so that means they they didn't do everything. They did individual drills and, and, and various things like that. So, you know, my my guess is, or, or what I've what I've kind of been led to believe, is that especially in the case of, Quan Alexander, they're being really careful with that hamstring. I mean, if you if you remember, he actually hurt it in the preseason. I was there one day at practice when it happened, and um, you know he he got it ready and played in the opener and aggravated it. And sometimes those hamstrings, Tom, can go you know eight weeks if you if you're not careful or be season ending if you're if you're really unlucky. So uh, we remember what happened to Doug Martin last year. He hurt it in week mm-hmm. two, then he re-injured it trying to come back. So I don't know. Just because these guys are practicing, it's a great sign. It's a big lift. and you know The players are very excited to see them out there with them. But it doesn't necessarily mean that any or all will play on Sunday. I never thought I would say this, though, Rick, particularly a year ago at this time. If you go back exactly a year ago at this time, four or five weeks into the 2016 season, and then fast forward and told me a year from now, the Bucks are going to have they're going to have drafted OJ Howard. They're going to draft. They're going to sign Deshaun Jackson in the off season. Doug Martin will eventually be back and look okay. And Jameis Winston will be in his third year. If you'd have told me all that one year ago at this time, I would have said this is an offensive dominated team. They they're going to score thirty five points a game, but they're going to need to because their defense is awful. And I look at this team now, and I feel just the opposite. This is a defensive team, and I look that's the strength of this team right now. And to get these guys back, or whichever ones come back even if they don't all come back this was a pretty good defensive team and it showed last thursday against a really good new england patriot team i don't care how many guys are missing they had tom brady's a quarterback and they held that team to 19 points i'm really impressed and i'm starting to think this is more of a running slash defensive football team yeah i I think it's going to kind of morph into that especially as doug martin you know gets more and more of a workload which i would expect maybe this sunday um and, and that's sort of the way they want to play you know, if if you consider, you know, the 19 points against New England, and, and that's what you're judged on, you know, ultimately is how many points you allow. 
they gave up a lot of third down conversions and 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 you know they, there was a lot of second and longs that they were able to convert. So it, it wasn't a perfect performance by any means. They did have three sacks and, a, and an interception of Brady, which is rare. But consider that you know guys you know that that are not playing. I mean, Quan Alexander, Levante David, those are the two leading tacklers on this team the last six years. Okay, so one or the other has led the team in tackling in the last six years. And they're both have been off the field for the majority of, of, of the season, uh, or at least half of it, more than half of it, if we can consider, you know, Quan leaving the Minnesota game. And, you know, and then, you know, the safety position has sort of been in flux. Look, they're really, really ha- happy with uh, two rookies that have just stood out. And, I mean, you can see, um, you know, guys like Kendall Beckwith. And then last week, Justin Evans showed why he was a second-round pick. I mean, no, I really didn't know anything about Justin Evans. Other yeah. than there's another Evans they got from Texas A&M. So, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like where you go for the Evans boys. But he was, you know, they, they kept saying about, you know, sort of this, you know, he's just an incredibly fast athlete. You know, he's long, which is what you need. You know, the NFL is, is, about, uh, is about space, you know, especially with the rules where you really can't, you know, jam receivers or anything. So it, it becomes, you know, one of these deals where you want to cover space. And he has – both the range and the speed and we saw you know all he did in his first game was intercept tom brady so tell that to your grandchildren you know the first game that you started you you pick him off almost had another interception tackled very well i think evans is going to force his way into the lineup even with chris conte and if tandy comes back and you know we i would expect that tj ward will start to play more and more if not be a starter so you know they're gonna the calvary you know as, as dirk cutter always says the calvary is not coming but there are some guys mounting the horses, man, and, and right. they're going to be back. And when they are, assuming you don't, you know, have another you know, cataclysmic injury on the defensive line, um, you know, it, this, this defense is going to get better as they get their pieces back. You know what, Rick, I think is the best move that they have made this organization over the last three years? You could talk about since Jameis. Jameis is the best thing they've done over the last three years. Over the last two years, I'll say. It's not O.J. Howard. It's not Deshaun Jackson. I think it's bringing in Mike Smith as a defensive coordinator. I think this guy really knows defense. I think he knows how to cover up whatever holes you might have defensively. I really like the way this team plays in terms of they may give up yards, but it's it's a big play defense. They don't get a ton of sacks, but they get turnovers. And they stop teams in the red zone. They forced to get last week was a perfect example. New England would get down the field on them, but they end up kicking field goals a lot of the time. I think Mike Smith is really good at what he does. And I think he really understands not only defense, but he understands his personnel. And I think that's been the biggest difference over basically what's been the last year on why this defense has gotten so much better. Yeah, since about week eight of last year is when they turn it around. And I I think uh, the thing that Mike Smith has done is he sort of knows how to solve the puzzle each week because you never really have all your guys once the season starts and sometimes when the season does start. And so, you know, Mike Smith has had to uh, play shorthanded like a lot of teams, but he's able, to, he's able to cover up some of their weaknesses. And, you know, I, I think against Minnesota was not a secret when Brent Grimes went out. That they're very, very thin at corner, right? They, sure. they, I mean, Ryan Smith had to start the game. Uh, Vernon Hargraves has been attacked since day one. But it's because Brent Grimes is such an outstanding player, even at age 34, teams tend to not throw towards his side of the field. 
and when they do, they they don't complete anything. So Hargraves has been targeted a lot, and then you know, so when when they've had to be out, that that's when they were vulnerable against Minnesota, and they gave some stuff over the top. But beyond that, I mean, he has plugged in rookies, and that is so hard to do. I can't emphasize, you know, to take a guy like like Beckwith out of LSU as a rookie who was really training as a strong side linebacker, which is a different position than Mike. And then, you know, he, he's a different body type. He's six foot three. He's a lot taller. He's a lot longer. Maybe he doesn't run as well. But, man, he's got good instincts and he's smart. And to give him, you know, the green dot on the helmet where they, the communicator with Mike Smith so he can get everybody set, that is such a monumental task. And for Mike Smith to have, you know, that going um, in a year where they've had these injuries at linebacker is really phenomenal. And, um, I agree with you. I, I think Mike Smith. The other thing is, he should be a head coach in this league. Um, you know, yeah. he interviewed for he several will be jobs. Again. Well, he will be, but he he sort of, you know, it 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 remains to be seen what will happen after this year. But my understanding is, when he came back and signed a, a fairly well a very lucrative extension, from what I understand, he was committing himself and his family to staying in Tampa Bay for like three years. Hmm. So I don't know that he, you know, he could look, you never say never. I don't know what the little contract you know, details are. You can't really stop a guy from being a head coach, but they are lucky to have continuity and, and him and Cutter just seem to work really well together. And I think that's important. You know, I, I think they, they, you know, Cutter completely trust him. Um, you know, they try to play complimentary football, but Mike Smith is a problem solver and you see how he's able to sort of morph his defense into the personnel that he has for that given week and, and then based on the opponent they're playing. I think with Mike Smith as well, he's going to be one of those guys that he can maybe pick and choose his job. If it's a really good job out there and somebody makes him an offer, he could take it. Doesn't have to. He's not somebody like, say, uh, Chiano. If, if, if somebody, if an NFL team called Chiano tomorrow, I don't care which team it was, he would, he would go. I, oh, yeah. I firmly believe that. Oh, he's taking the Browns job. For sure. Is that, you think? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm it's just not, saying. Like, you know it, I'm saying? It, if they call. It wouldn't yeah, matter, right, right. yeah. Right. If they well, call. Maybe I'm breaking news here. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, it <laughs> suddenly sounded really interesting. I, that sounded totally believable to me. Right. Like he's going to end I up. Saw, going, oh, he's taking the Browns job. <laughs> hey, tell you what, that's news to the Browns coach. Well, when you when he ends up getting that job, we can say we could mark it down that on uh, October twelfth, two thousand seventeen, Rick Stroud was breaking well, the news. Let me tell according you, according to I my think, sources, I, right. according to my sources, I think teams will think long and hard about Greg Shannon in the NFL, especially after the disaster that was in Tampa Bay. Let me just assure you, that would be a discussion. Not a, he's not he's not going to be everybody's you know cup of Joe. I mean, right. You know, and he, he knows of, that. That's why it in the NFL a little bit. And, well, that's why I'm saying if somebody ever offered yeah. him a job again, he would take it. Mike Smith doesn't have to. I, I know, boy, it's hard to turn jobs down if you ever get a chance. Yeah. Or somebody comes knocking because you never know if you, if you will get that opportunity again. Right. I just, I just get the sense though that he feels in a really like he good will. Spot right now. Yeah, it feels yeah. like he will. Yeah, and he'll get another job. The other part of this, Rick, when you have a defensive slash running type ball control offense, if that's really what the Bucks are sort of headed towards here, although I'm not convinced necessarily that they won't. Well, they don't want to control the ball. I mean, they want to throw the ball forty. Yeah, they want they want to be explosive. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's more about the home run ball. I mean, they, you know, running the ball to them is just a means to an end, which is to set up Jameis's play action because. Right. You know, you, you, you get space and time for Jameis to let things develop down the field. And that's really what he wants to do. He wants to throw the ball and they want explosive plays in the passing game. So it's it's never going to be, you know, I just don't think that Jameis will ever be that guy where you go, yeah, he's Drew Brees. He's going to throw it 35 times for 300 every game. 
Right. If he throws for 300, it's going to be because there's big chunks in there. But to make to make him the best quarterback, this is probably true with a lot of teams, um, you have to have balance. And that's what they're striving for, and I think it'll help Jameis when they get it. It's interesting you bring up some of the other guys. I know Gerald McCoy and was on with Adam Schefter on Adam Schefter's podcast and talked extensively about Jameis Winston. Jameis is on his way up. You know, and he's he's young, but Jameis is he's taking those steps towards being that guy, man. There's a lot of growing pains. These guys didn't turn into this overnight. You've seen I'll take Cam Newton. You've seen him have the dominant rookie year. He had a up and down second year and his third year, people started to question him and then from that point on He's just been lights out, man, all the way until his MVP season. Last year, you know, injuries here and there. But then this year, look at what he's doing. Yeah. You know, and I think Jameis is on that same same path as these guys, man. He's just – every year he's improving. You see the growing pains, but he's getting better every year. And he's starting to work his way to being a dominant quarterback, working his way to being an elite quarterback. And – He's going to take us to the promised land, man. Uh, he's putting us on his back, and we're going to believe in him and keep riding with him. I don't know that 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 anybody out inside the organization is wavering. I think there's some. I think we're all sort of waiting to see where Jameis goes next. I, I there's this sense that he uh, he's he's having a little bit of a hiccup right now. He might not quite be where everybody hoped he would be by five games into year three. Maybe I'm rushing him a little bit too much, but. They seem to still have confidence in him. The Bucks do, certainly Joe McCoy. And it's it's not easy, as Joe McCoy was saying. You're, you're dealing in, in a division with some really good quarterbacks. First of all, thanks for mentioning my podcast. Know him from Adam. <laughs> I really appreciate your podcast mentioning my podcast with Gerald McCoy. It is too soon this season. Look, I, I was probably as, as um, down on Jameis for three quarters of the Patriots game as you could be. Because I just felt like, you know, he's one in four in national TV games. When I say he's one in four, really the Bucks are one in four. Sure. So you have to consider that some of those games, they just stunk anyway. But they lost to teams like the St. Louis Rams in St. Louis, right? And they got blown out by Atlanta, which is the only game that Jameis played great in the first half and had a couple touchdowns and threw for over 100 yards. All those other games, at, in, at no point in the first half did he even throw for 100 yards. Right. And at no point did he complete more than 50% of his passes. So we've seen him start lo- slow, and yet I went back and I watched the tape against the Patriots, and, you know, he didn't play as bad as I thought. Every time I think that Jameis is awful, I go back and watch and go, man, I it might have been a little hard on him when, when I was watching during the game. But there is, he is not a finished product. Now, you know, he better get there fast. I, I just, again, I go back to all the data that, and, and, and maybe maybe we're prone to do to do the comparison thing, and it's not fair because they play on different teams for different coaches, but it just seems like those guys who are going to be elite, and I mean elite, not just, you know, and Jameis, Jameis right now is a very promising young quarterback, and he has improved, I think, leaps and bounds from his rookie year, and I think he's improved from his second year to his third year. I mean, I can already see that in, in many ways. But those quarterbacks that are taken that high, the, the, really the, the mark of it is they get their teams in the postseason. And it's about – it becomes – at some point it becomes not about their numbers but about winning games. The numbers are there, and they, and they just seem to find a way to win games. Now, I'll say this about Jameis, that you know, when you really go back and analyze it, his thing was turnovers, right? you got to stop – got to protect the football. you got to stop turning the ball over. Well, really, all his turnovers came against Minnesota. He's, had, he's played four games. Three of them were clean, and right. that's progress. That's really progress. And if he continues to do that, they're going to win. I, I think they'll win more than they lose again this year. 
It's funny too when I look back at that Minnesota game, I didn't believe that his that he could be blamed for all those interceptions. I didn't. Right. I, there were two. He threw three that game, I believe. Two of yeah. them were not necessarily his fault. I look at though, Rick. He's always, there's always going to be the comparison of, to Marcus Mariota, and I'm not sure that we've gotten to a point yet where I'm getting emails from people saying, "Oh, they made a mistake. Mariota's what? the better quarterback." And Seriously? I, I no, and and when I look at those two guys. I'm not ready to declare either one is better than the other yet. I'll say this: Jameis Winston plays every week. I, I, yeah, I think the biggest the biggest thing is if you're if you're going to be that guy, you know, if we're talking about you know the next gen or the or, or the franchise quarterbacks, which we talked about before on the show, if you're going to be that person, the first thing you have to do is show up every Sunday. And and Mariota ha- has had uh, a number of injuries. All I know is Jameis has not missed. A game he probably wouldn't have missed the snap had Tom Jones not guilted Cutter into it the last <laughs> the last time that they were way behind. He's never missed a snap because of injury. That's as correct. far as we know. As far as we know, although yeah, you know there was that day that you know it looked like they took him out because he took a pretty good whack on the knee, and then I said something and he started dancing really fast in front of oh, me at yeah, the press yeah. conference, which is a weird deal that we'll talk about some other day. <laughs> but uh, so I guess he was okay, but it sure looked like they were worried about his health. But that's other than that, the guys. I mean, he 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 shows up every single game and I think you have to if I'm just grading these two guys I'm saying okay I give the edge to Jameis because you can count on him being there every Sunday so far right would you take him right now I'm going to play a little either or I mentioned this earlier on another podcast I don't like this game when the or is the same guy that's (laughs) not really that's that's called either Jameis or Jameis or Jameis or okay it's Jameis or Jameis or it's not either or Here's everybody's in love right now with with uh, Deshaun Watson. He's had th- four, three games, four yep. games. Yep. What's your gut tell you right now? About what? About which one's going to be the better quarterback in the is NFL? Jameis or Deshaun what, Watson? Is that is that the Deshaun, first category, Alex? Yeah, yeah. And, okay. I, and I'll take and I'm taking Jameis. I'm I'm going to take Jameis. I don't have a big enough body of work, although I'm a big Deshaun Watson guy. I said this, you know, going back to when he was playing at Clemson and coming out in the draft, and people were trying to slam him. I think he's going to be really, really good and really, really successful. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with what team you're on and who your head coach is, and I love Bill O'Brien. But I I don't think Deshaun has risen yet to the level that Jameis did as a rookie. Let's see. He could could eclipse it. Um, But I'm not ready to give that to him, you know, in, in four games or three starts or whatever he's had or four starts just because he's had he's put up some big numbers. I I'm not quite there yet. You're going to so disagree James, with me. 100... I'm going to go right. with Jameis on that. Right. You're going to disagree with me 100%. Deshaun Watson's going to be his drafts RG3. I think in two years from now. I totally disagree. He's he's going to be a guy that the rest of the league catches up with, and he's not going to be that good a player. Uh, I have no reason to think that. <laughs> other <laughs> other just, than I saw wrong. it with RG3. Yeah, other than I'm just wrong. I'll tell you a guy who will take over Jameis right now. And that's Dak, Dak Prescott. I like Dak Prescott really? better than I do Jameis because he brings an element of being able to run the football. Now, if he well, can't run the football, he might not be. And he's on a better team. Let's let's. I'll say that right now. He plays in front of a a much better offensive line. He's not asked to do as much. And he has when Ezekiel Elliott's healthy and yeah. has his has his stuff offensive together. Line and yeah, yeah. Then he's he's surrounded by a much more balanced offense where he can do more things. I'm more impressed so far with Dak Prescott than I am with with Jameis. But I, I do, like I said, he's on a much better football team. Well, also, let's consider the spotlight he has. And I think that's to his credit that he's handled it. 
You wear the star on your helmet. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're the quarterback of the Dallas freaking Cowboys, man. I mean, you're talking them stall back. Do we back, make too much? Aikman. Do we? Do we make too much of that, Rick? Do we give no. guys like the oh, sh- no, 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 no? Do we make to, is Dak Prescott? Be, do we make him out to be better than he is because he plays for that franchise? Well, may, well, that's that's kind of a different question. That that that's possible, and he went to a much better football team, clearly. But I will say this: he has to handle a whole lot more than Jameis Winston does here in the great Tampa Bay market. I, yes. I, I, there is something about being the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, which is like playing center field for the Yankees or shortstop as the case may be, even though it's not doesn't seem to hurt the guy that took over from Jeter. Um, anymore. Yeah, yeah right. Hit another leadoff home run that, you know, against uh, <laughs> Cleveland. But I, I, I just think that it, there are certain, you know, positions in franchises that it's, you, you know, it's enormous pressure and well beyond the other 31 quarterbacks, in my opinion. And, yeah. and I, think, I think Dak has that job right now, and I think he's doing a hell of a job with it at a very young age that when no one necessarily knew that he could get that done. You look at Jameis in the NFC South, Rick, he's still probably fourth among the quarterbacks. Doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. He's going up against one guy that's clearly a Hall of Famer in Drew Brees. Got another guy, Matt Ryan, who appears to be on his way to a Hall of Fame. And Cam Newton, who uh, it reminds me a lot of Jameis in a way that he – he sort of had a stumble in his second year. He's had sort of had that sophomore slump, but he's had a lot more peaks and valleys than Matt Ryan or Drew Brees has had. Uh, but Jameis is still probably fourth on that list, which is nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, I mean, you know, Brees can't play forever. And, you know, he has – I mean, he's going to put up ridiculous numbers. He's going to throw up for 5,500 yards again and, and all that. So, I mean, Drew's special in his own way. I think Cam, I would have said – the injuries were starting to mount on him a little bit, and I wasn't sure how he's going to come back from the shoulder and the ankle and things like that. It looked to me like, and I still believe this, you know, and he, they're starting to run him again. They're starting to say, hey, how you feel about running? And let's call running play with you. And I don't think he's going to have a long career. I, I, I keep, and, he, and, you know, he takes hits. The officials don't throw the flags. We know all that debate. He's a heck of a player, and he's that whole offense and that whole franchise. But, I don't know if he'll climb the mountain. They're four and one. They look like they got that look in their eyes again. Right. But uh, but this, I, I think Cam, you know, not the best thrower of the football, gets it done a totally different way than Jameis. But if you look at their numbers, you're exactly right. The parallels between those two players are so strikingly similar, right down to the six and ten record as a rookie to you know wh- whatever. But um, I, I I don't know. At the end of the day. Because he doesn't do as much from the pocket, I don't know that he's. I mean, Jameis has a chance to maybe eclipse what what Cam does before his career is over. I never in a million years thought I would say this: that I trust Jameis more than I do Cam Newton when it comes to leadership. Really? When it comes to yeah, mm. Cam Newton strikes me as a guy, and I have no. Re- I'm not there every day, but he's had <laughs> which, issues. Which Rick. press conference didn't you like? The one after the <laughs> Super Bowl? Well, the one or the after one the one when he Bowl. laughed about the girl. Talking about routes. <laughs> well, there you go. But I mean, he has this. This he pouts sometimes. He's a bit moody. I don't know how his moody. team necessarily feels about him. I, I I assume that they'll they'll go through the fire along with him. But I know the Bucks will with Jameis. Now maybe it's because I'm exposed to Jameis a little bit more than I am Cam Newton. But I have no qualms whatsoever of of that he will ever. Uh, 
get to a point where his team doesn't trust him or his teammates don't trust him. I, and this is here's the thing. I mean, there were a lot of question marks about Jameis coming out of college. I'm not sure that he's totally out of the woods necessarily in terms of mm-hmm. uh, you know is he is he totally grown up? And if, and um, look, there was there's one issue out there that we'll never know exactly what happened. And I'm not talking about that one necessarily. But uh, Jameis is a guy that I I trust him to show up at work every day. I trust him not to cause controversy in the media. I trust him not to. Not to not to be a, make a jerk of himself in in uh, on his own team. I think he's done a really good job of trying to earn back what what trust he lost coming out of Florida State. And he, all you can judge him by is what's happened so far. That's not to say he's going to be perfect as his whole life. Or you know maybe in fifteen minutes you know we get a call and something awful has happened. I don't know. I don't expect it. I think Jameis is smart in the sense that a couple things. One, I think football he really really loves. And he, he's he a really, gym rat. He is a total gym rat. And, and I think people might have may have taken and I'm not talking about, you know, the, the uh, sexual assault allegations or the civil suit right. that he settled. But people took a lot of the hijinks from college with, you know, the BB guns or the lobster or, you know, from Publix or whatever. And and kind of equated that to, you know, like he's a jack wagon, like he's Johnny Manziel bad. And that was never the case. Like he is so incredibly serious about football and such such a studier there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Of the game and, and truly is first one in, last one out type deal. And I think Jameis is also smart that, you know, he knows that this this career is fleeting and that he's going to get his money. <laughs> so, yes. you know, all he has to do, legitimately, all he has to do is, you know, Keep the grind, you know, enjoy the grind. And he, you know, football, we talked about what a different sport it is. It's such a grind. But there's no, Tom, in my opinion, you can tell me if I'm wrong. And you covered hockey a lot, so maybe goaltending is uh, is up there. But in my opinion, there is no singular position in all of sport that is harder to play than NFL quarterback. They have the most responsibility. Things happen the fastest. Um, the most scrutiny uh, you know, in, in, a, in a tough man's sport where you can get hurt on any play. I think it's the hardest thing to accomplish as a professional athlete. I agree with you actually on that, even though I did cover hockey a long time and certainly a hockey team depends on its goalie as much as it, uh, anybody sure, depends on any sure. position in sports. But when you factor in everything that a quarterback has to do mentally during a game, not even physically, but mentally during a game, and then and add the time the physical, of prep, and the time for preparation of that. Right. And then add on top of that, I don't care which franchise you're talking about. He is the face of the franchise. The goalie is not always the face of the franchise. No, he's fighting. the mask fact, of the franchise. You right. don't even get to see his face. <laughs> you don't even see frankly. his face. Yeah. That's right. And you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, for example, as much as Ben Bishop was a big uh, part of that franchise in the last couple of years, um, he wasn't the face of the franchise. Steven Stamkos was the face of the franchise. And you go back to the Stanley Cup years when they had Nikolai Hobby Bullen, who rarely talked to the media whereas Marty St. Louis and Vinny LeCavie and Brad Richards and those guys were. Now Andre Vasilevsky is not the face of the franchise. Steven Stamkos still is. Jameis Winston is the face of the Tampa Bay Bucks. 
And when I said, Rick, that I don't worry about him in terms of how he deals with his team, everybody knows I wrote a column a couple of years ago criticizing him for when he spoke to his kids. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about he's not one of those guys who is going to cause a controversy by ripping, ripping into the head coach. He's not going to be a guy who's going to complain about his teammates. He's not going to He's not going to lash out at the media even. I mean, he's had ample opportunity to fire back at us. That's right. Um, and there's never, there's us, never I mean a, you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but there's never there's never really We been. actually get along very well. No, and he knows yeah. I wrote the column and we look, so he think. has been he has been nothing but professional in terms of dealing with the media. He's been nothing but as far as we know, professional dealing with his teammates. We've heard other stories of other quarterbacks complaining about uh, you know, play calling or complaining about um, uh, how they're treated by the organization. Or I've only seen uh, him lose his cool one time, and it was very briefly. In the next press conference, he actually came up to me before his press conference and shook my hand and said, I was, and said he was sorry, and he didn't do anything wrong. You right. know, it was just a weird moment. Um, it was after that game when we – you know, the thing about the injured leg and all that. But yeah. I, I, he, has, he has an incredible amount of self-control. And that sounds weird based on all his problems, you know, coming yeah. out of Florida State. But as a professional, he has been nothing but professional inside and outside the building as far as we know. And the, the dealings that he's had with the media and his coaches. And I mean, the one thing you hear about Jameis, which is odd given all his problems at Florida State, but this was the case on the football field too, was they, the word you hear is accountable. He's very accountable. Like he knows when he screws up, doesn't mean he can fix it all the time, but you know, he, he takes responsibility sometimes when it's not his fault. I like quarterbacks that talk about me, that say, I got to do this better. Or, you know, we had a quarterback in Tampa Bay who I liked a lot, Josh Freeman. Yes. But it was always we. The first we. word was we. It was we never do I, better. We I have play to play better. better. I right. have to get the ball to them. And that's such, I have to be more precise. And that's the one, the one criticism. And the one thing I'm not sure about Jameis is this. I don't know. If he's ever going to be, and ever's a long time. I don't know how precise of a of a thrower he's going to be. And I in the NFL, it's such a game of inches, you know. And the one thing, like, well, the reason Brady has been able to play until he's 105 is because he understands leverage that receivers have on defensive backs, and he can throw guys open. He's so precise, yeah, yeah. and he wasn't always like that. So he worked at it, and maybe Jameis can too. But those are the things that I see. You know, when you got guys running crossing routes and if you throw it out in front of them and they catch the ball, you know, on their left shoulder instead of behind them on their right shoulder, it's the difference between an incompletion or tackled at the spot versus a 45-yard gain. That's yeah. what I mean. I haven't seen that from him on a game-to-game -game basis. It's getting better. But, I, you know, there are certain um, days when I just think, like, man, he's just, you know, I don't know that he's ever going to be a precision thrower. And maybe he doesn't have to be. Maybe that big arm is enough. But, you know, we've seen him miss Deshaun Jackson down the field. We've seen him, you know, um, throw the ball high to Doug Martin, who's all alone in the flats when you should just hit him between the two and the two. You know, and that's the sort of thing that I worry, I wonder about. Yeah, I think he's, he'll always be that guy. He's always going to be the guy that so? throws, yeah, 59% completion yeah. kind of guy. But he'll hit home runs. He'll, he's going to yeah. hit home runs yeah. for you. I, he'll eventually get the long pass down. He'll eventually, yeah. and not not maybe consistently hit hit four out of eight of them. He still may only hit two out of eight, but uh, but he's a winner. I'll say that, Rick. I think he's a he winner. He's a winner, you know. Yeah. And uh, I uh, Pat Murray was out there again today, right? And I'll tell you what, if you haven't had, I'm, I'm going to 
pat my colleague here on the back. Go back and read Rick Stroud's story in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com in Wednesday, on Wednesday. And it was so interesting. We talked about it on the podcast with mm-hmm. uh, with about what Pat Murray and then Dirk talked about him on Wednesday too. It, it, uh, about yeah. finally having a kicker that maybe he can rely on for a while. Well, yeah, and, and you know Dirk was not in the building when Pat actually kicked. He was there. They came the next year when when Pat ended up uh, uh, getting hurt and and whatnot. But um, guys in the building do know him. And what what Dirk said, he said, "I don't want to speak for for Pat." I know when he left here last time, he he was. Uh, I mean, I'm going to put words in his mouth now. He was a little bit bitter, and maybe rightfully so, because you know no one likes to lose their position because of injury and uh, especially an injury that happened you know in a training session not not really on the field and you know so I, I think in Patrick's mind and again I I'm not trying to speak for him but I think in his mind he should have been the kicker here all along and it's you know it's just weird how how things work out uh he's back and you know hopefully he, he goes out there and and knocks it dead he didn't relate that to us but then again Pat you know said that he's sort of a better man now and spiritually and you know, when you go see a medium that 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 helps you out <laughs> on the on the other side, I mean that's that's a good thing. So, um, it's an interesting story. It was thanks for that compliment, but I, I it was yeah, it was really good. I've just I mean I've done a lot of interviews and with with players and kickers are very unique animals anyway. But you know to have a guy sit there and, and quote Vince Lombardi because he went to Fordham and have you know his Fordham hat on and pull out his autobiography, quote from that. Talk about how he doesn't believe in the Bucks kicking curse, even though he was part of it, um, and then and then you know tell you, oh by the way, I don't go see a sports psychologist. I use a medium, and and you're kind of like, what? Excuse me, come back. You mean like a, a medium, like a like a fortune teller type thing? Yeah, yeah, she's really helped me. <laughs> and you know he's very Irish Catholic, and you're trying to like in your mind you're trying to put this all together. So look, I don't know how he does on Sunday in Arizona. But um, it's going to be interesting, and I, you know, he could just be next, or he could be, he could maybe have this job for the next five years. I mean, certainly they're looking for somebody to be consistent enough to where I think they won't be looking to replace you if you're good. You know, they'd be so happy to get a guy make eighty, eighty-two, eighty-three percent that they'd probably keep you for life. I got an email from a reader uh, on Wednesday who said something that was very basic and very simple and I think absolutely on the money, which is, you know what I found? He he wrote that if you're a really good team, you have a really good kicker. And if you're not a good team, you have a bad kicker. And it's almost, you wonder if one goes with the other because it seems like teams who win Super Bowls have good kickers and teams that to, to make the playoffs every year have, yeah. you know, look at New England. But that's, look is at that Indianapolis, chicken and the egg thing? Because if you're really good. It probably is, yeah, because – if yeah. you're really good, you're not relying on those guys to win a bunch of games for you because you're scoring touchdowns and you're taking and them may, off the yeah. hook. Yeah, you, you take them, they're not you're not forced they're to, not to make taking, game-winning field goals. Yeah, every exactly. Or or every missed extra point or every missed field goal is like, oh my, there we go. You know, like <laughs> it's just such a focus on that position, and that's sort of that's sort of what everybody's been talking about. But I mean, it, I mean, it's we started this with hard knocks. We started this last year. You know, I wrote a column in the off season that said, I don't see how Roberto Aguayo, I don't see anything he could do to win this job. And then in fact, yeah. he didn't do enough. And then, <clears throat> you know, and then you thought Nick Folk was going to be the answer. And I think he caught Roberto Aguayo disease. I just think the scrutiny became too much for him. I, I can't explain it. The guy's been a, a solid 12 year, 11 year, 12 year veteran that has kicked 83%. And all of a sudden he forgets how to do it. 
I mean, how do you explain that? Except it's that a snowball. It's a snowball. It really effect. is. Guy misses it's a, it's, one, and they yeah. they makes the other. He'll go to another team. Nick Folk will kick again in the NFL, and he'll be a good kicker again somewhere else. You just need that fresh start to go. I, I, that's why I fully expect Roberto Aguayo to go to Chicago, make the team, and be a really good kicker. And now it didn't pan out there, and he's told maybe he needs to go see Pat Murray's medium. But <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a position really. It's it's almost like a. Um, it's almost like a hitter in baseball. When you're feeling it, you're hitting. When you and when you're in a slump, you're just in a slump, man. Nothing can get you out of it. Mm. Speaking of baseball, we owe an I owe an apology. I don't know how much you ripped into it. I ripped into him. Steven Strasburg of the Washington Nationals. I was I was questioning his guts. We were people were calling him names, questioning his courage, whether he had any heart. And apparently, the guy goes out there. Drinks a little uh, Alka-Seltzer or something, gets ready for the game, and goes out and pitches seven scoreless innings against the Chicago Cubs and sends that series to a game five. It was an amazing performance, and I wasn't as much on Strasburg as I was on Dusty Baker for saying it had to do with the air conditioning and the mold. <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't quite get that, but whatever they gave Strasburg last night, I'd like some of it because – However sick he was, apparently they, from the broadcast I watched anyway, they said that he got some kind of antibiotic and a good night's sleep and woke up and went to the clubhouse and said, I feel great. I, I feel not great. I feel better. I want to pitch to give me the ball. And and yeah. I was watching all the morning shows, you know, in, in uh, on TV and some of the debate shows and whatnot and sports centers and all those. And they were like, man, this guy, you know, how could he not take the ball? How sick would you have to be? He's got his 125 million. I mean, he was getting destroyed. Well, like yeah, if he I hadn't, crushed him on our, yeah. Uh, yeah, if he hadn't pitched today, it wasn't about being sick. It wasn't about anything except that he was shrinking in the moment, which was odd because when he pitched in, in the playoffs, he threw six or seven hitless innings. You know, it wasn't like anybody's touched him. Well, then he did the same thing today. I mean, basically, um, you know, he struck out 12, he threw change-ups with two strikes that they had no chance of hitting. He was tremendous. It's one of the best postseason pitching performances, especially under the circumstances in an elimination game on the road with a guy who's purportedly sick, goes out there and absolutely deals and gave his team, you know, I mean, it was a one-to-nothing game. He would have won that game one-to-nothing if he needed to. They want to get in a grand slam, and they win it five-to-nothing, but he was, he was lights out. And now that goes to a game five. I picked the, the Cubs to win this series. I still think the Cubs win this series. I still think they go to Washington. They win game five. I think Kyle Hendricks pitches lights out. Matt mm. Scherzer going for the Washington Nationals in game five on short rest. They could always go to Gio Gonzalez if, if things get a little shaky. Or they could decide after to maybe start Gonzalez and then go back with Scherzer. But the early indication is that they'll start Scherzer. Pressure's on the Nats. Pressure's on the Nats to win that game. Chicago, Chicago's got their World Series, and they're going on the road to Game Five. I know that they should have won Game Four at home, didn't? And and you would think that that means it feels like they're going to blow this thing, but they'll win. They'll win Game Five. I'm picking the Cubs to win Game Five. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I'm not as confident. Although the Washington thing is real, because I know a ton of Washington fans, some friends of ours like Chris Harry and other. It doesn't seem to matter the sport; they're going to choke. You know, and and there's almost. Like, there's almost more pressure on Washington playing that game in Washington than if they could just say, let's just play another one right here at Wrigley, you know? They'd yeah. almost be better off doing that because mm -hmm. the expectation is going to be so hyped and there's going to be so much expectation. 
Um, and I think Scherzer, Scherzer will be great. He didn't give up a hit until the sixth or seventh inning the last time he pitched, and they took him out. But I, I, I'm not confident in the Cubs, and I'll tell you why. It's because their bullpen, they, like we said today, they can't get to Wade Davis. There's not a bridge that – I mean, you know, Lester, John Lester came in out of the bullpen and pitched like four and two-thirds, you know, perfect innings and had actually picked a guy off first base and threw <laughs> over amazing. there twice in a row. It was like – I mean, it was like watching the eclipse. It was, it was unbelievable. And, and, and despite doing that, He's sitting on the mound with two outs, nobody on, you know, in the eighth inning, just kind of hanging out. And then before you knew it, five runs had scored. They took him out after he gave up a base hit, and they brought in Stringbean, you know, my man, uh, tall, skinny dude. Uh, and he just he couldn't he couldn't find the plate. And you know, then he gives up he gives up the bomb against which was gale winds blowing straight in from center field. I mean, that ball must have been crushed. It just dropped over into the basket, just barely yeah. made a home run. But it was a granny, and then that was the ball game. So back to Washington, they have no day off. they got to get on the plane and go right away and go play. I, I'm not as confident in the Cubs. I just I think if they're in a close game, and I think it will be, um, you know, I mean, Chris Bryant hasn't done anything. He struck out four times today, I think. It, they're, they're just not getting much offense at all. Their starting pitching has completely kept them in it, and their bullpen is shaky until you get to Wade Davis. And even today, he gave up. He gave up a little bit. So, I don't know. Other big news in baseball: John Farrell let go as manager of the Boston Red Sox on Wednesday. Do you know who's getting blamed for all of this, Rick? No, David Price. David Price. David Price. And what's David no. Price? I heard. I caught wind of this a little bit. Yeah, David Price is getting crushed up in in um, in Boston because they they think he was a just a horrible influence in the clubhouse. And I guess there were some times where he referenced Farrell as Manager John. It was almost like he was making making fun of him. Uh, that the whole airplane incident with David Price and Dennis Eckersley uh, was not a good look for Price and and. And a lot of people in the Boston organization felt that Farrell didn't handle that whole situation very well, that maybe he should have come down harder on price or back or done something. He was strangely quiet through that whole thing. And the other thing is that the guy was just, look, I'm not going to say that David Price is a bad guy. I don't know him well enough to say he's a bad guy, but I'm not stunned by his ineffectiveness. The fact that he can be sulky, he can sulk, he can be moody. He can be pouty, that he can be sort of uh, difficult with the media, truculent, however you want to put it. It's I'm not a, I'm not as much a David Price fan as some people are. I haven't spent a ton of time, but the times I have spent around him, I'm just not a huge fan. And clearly in Boston, somebody there there are somebody's pointing fingers. There are writers writing things, Rick, about David Price. And they're not putting any names on it. They're just saying it themselves. But, Rick, you know how this business works. Oh, someone's talking. The, writer, the writers are talking to other people. Now, whether yep. it's, it's other players or it's other people in the organization or clubhouse guys, but, but you just don't all of a sudden get this story out there that David Price is to blame without somebody whispering in a writer's ear that this is what's going on. Well, they're not going to like him. I mean, we, you know, and here's the thing. I think, and I mean, you, you know athletes this way. If you're in their circle – and you socialize with them, and somehow you get brought into it. I mean, not as a writer necessarily, but just a, a dude, right? I think David Price would be yeah. one of the best friends you could have. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think he's probably loyal. He's a he can do anything. He's a great golfer. Uh, you know, he's fabulously rich, probably generous. But 
outside of that circle, he, he comes across as a conceited ass. I mean, he just does. Mm-hmm. And we've had to deal with him after, you know, Ray's games and, and even when he pitched well. And he, he like, he won't, it's not that he won't give you anything. It's like he, he, he's very capable. He doesn't want to do, he wants to be, he presents himself a certain way, like truculent is a good word, you know? And you just wonder, I think it's hard. I really think it is hard to be a free agent and go to Boston or New York um, and be successful. I, I we've seen it eat Carl Crawford a lot. We've seen it eat other players alive, and there's just you, you're sort of the interloper. The expectations are larger than anything you can probably paint for yourself. You're getting paid more money than anyone on the team. There's got to be some jealousy. Just you know, well, let's take a look at this guy. Look, you know, here he comes from Tampa. Know, let's see how you handle this, buddy. You know, we're here at Fenway Park with a hit at Wicked Fa, and mm-hmm. and I just I I think it's hard to do. And then if you interject yourself as sort of the, the conscience of the team when you really don't have that sweat equity in that ball club, because there was a, there was a time, remember last year, when people were questioning who is the leader of this team? Who's the leader now that Big Poppy's gone? And Pedroia stepped up and said, hello, I'm right here. You know I can hear you, right? I'm sitting right here. And I thought that was a weird moment, you know? So something, something with Farrell, there was some disconnect there with him and his players, obviously. And... Um, you know, so he's gone. But interesting that Price, you're right, people are chirping about him or or there wouldn't be. Now, I'm sure the writers, too, are he's not endeared himself to anybody in Boston. From a it just standpoint. seems like the weirdest organization for as much success as they've had over the last 15 years, how much dysfunction they've had over the last 15 years oh, as Bobby well. Bobby Valentine. Yeah, the whole Bobby Valentine turned into a mess and now John Farrell's situation turned into a mess. They fired Grady Little after he took them to within like an out of making yeah. the World Series back in 2003. Yeah. Uh, Terry Somehow Terry Francona got away and people were criticizing about people eating fried chicken in the clubhouse and they stuff. They fired it's, Tito Francona, right? They did. They fired and everybody him. turned around and started blaming fingers and started pointing and said it was this guy and that guy. They're too this guy's an idiot. And yeah, they're drinking yeah, beers in the clubhouse. And... It's just the weirdest organization in terms of how much – that you would expect that out of an organization that's in last place every year. Hey, let me ask you, Rick. Kevin Cash, his job is safe apparently – but as these guys start to become available, a guy like John Farrell, and I think John Farrell's kind of a hard ass. I'm not totally sure about that, but he seems like sort of a hard ass. Do, if you're the Rays, do you think about it for a second? If Joe Girardi becomes available, oh. if if they, I think Joe Girardi's coming back to New York, but if he doesn't, do you think at least think about it for a second? Do you owe it to your fans, your organization, to say, hmm, okay, here's a guy that's out there and won a World Series. Do we think about bringing him in? I think you always have a list. Uh, uh, I don't know where Farrell would fall on that. I do know that he bought a condo from some of my best friends out on uh, Clearwater beach. So he'll be, he'll be back there hanging out. So he, <laughs> he is local. Um, if he still lives there, I haven't talked to him in a while, so I don't know, but yeah, Farrell strikes me as a guy that would be probably, probably better on a veteran club, but I don't know that. I don't know John that well. He was a pitching yeah. guy, you know, that was his strength. Right. Um, yeah. so I, I don't know. I don't know really what he's shown me as a manager. I, I think Boston is, is a difficult job no matter who takes it. Um, now, Girardi is going to be coveted. I think he's really good at what he does. I like Joe Girardi. And I think he was hamstrung with a very old team for years and years. And now that they're really good and young, people are talking about getting rid of him, which is really weird to me um, because I think he'd be great with the guys he has now. I mean, it's funny, you know, 
the Yankees for all the world had to fight and claw to the last, you know, day or two to make the postseason. And hell, you know, they they they've you know lapped the Boston Red Sox, who seem to have an easy time winning the division. Right, right. I would I would think about Girardi if he became available. I don't know that I would take him over Kevin Cash with this particular organization, but I, well, I let me think ask about you. It. I mean, real cool. I mean, I don't see. I don't. I don't dislike Kevin Cash. I don't know him, quite frankly. But and I think it's they put him in a difficult position. First of all, anybody who works for the Rays is doing it the Rays way. So sure. you have to have I, I don't think it's an accident that the last two managers they've hired had never been managers before. And in right. Cash's case, nowhere, right? Right. So I mean they you know, and, and, and this thing with Hickey leaving and the changes they're making, it's because the Rays are gonna try to change baseball again and not everyone's buying into that, even those that have worked for the Rays for years and years, right. uh, especially when it comes to the pitching. So I, I just I don't know how to grade Kevin Cash because I don't know how much is put on him and how much he's left to do. You know, like what what really he doesn't have control over the payroll. He's he's got the lowest budgeted team in the league. He's got to take spare parts and hurt players and wait for them to get healthy. And you know, yeah, he's got some young talent. But I haven't. And by the same token, I haven't seen Cash wow me yet. You know, I haven't seen him stop a a seventeen out of nineteen game losing streak yet. Um, I just I don't know how to grade him. You know what I'm saying? Like, and no, I don't know that exactly anybody right. would be. I don't know how anybody would be any better. No, if Joe Madden were still here. The the Rays would have had pretty much the same record. And if Probably. you put Kevin, you put Kevin Cash in Chicago, I don't know if the Cubs would be where they are right now. I that's yeah, I'm not sure. That's I don't the other. That that's league, how I yeah. don't know how to to right. I, that's how I, I don't know how Joe, to. Grade him. I think Joe has proven himself to be a special manager, and you know can't say that about a lot of guys in baseball. I think right. Joe's one of those guys. Right. I think he's, Although, I think, again, you point back, you can look at that Kevin Cash had a better record this past season than Joe had in his last season with the race. It's in his last season, down, though. In his yeah. last season with the race, after yeah. they were good. Yeah. Uh, right. Do I think Joe? Well, I'd be happy to read you some of the yes. rosters that he took to the playoffs. However. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Gabe Gross, I mean, guys like that. There was, oh yeah, man. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, anyway, uh, Lightning go back at it Thursday night. They'll take on a two-time defending champion Pittsburgh Penguins. So we're looking forward to that. And then, of course, a big football weekend coming up as uh, Florida gets back at it, wearing the worst uniforms on the face of the earth. They're playing oh, on Saturday, goodness. so we'll get uh, USF back in action, and of course the Bucks on Sunday. So we'll. Next time we talk to you, it will be a football Friday. Our thanks to our producer, Steve Verstick, and we'll talk to you on Friday, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 